The White House on Wednesday unveiling a plan to move the U.S. to the next stage of the pandemic, a stage where COVID, they say, no longer disrupts people's daily lives while also preparing for any new variants that may emerge. So where is Ontario when it comes to this? Let's ask the head of the Ontario Science Table, Dr. Peter Uni, who joins us once again. Dr. Uni, good afternoon. Always nice to have you with us. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me again. Okay, they're calling this the National Preparedness Plan. I don't know how much or how much detail you've seen on this plan from the White House, but it's focused on treatment, preparing for new variants, keeping schools and businesses open, and continuing to vaccinate not only the U.S., but the world. Are those sort of, do you think, Dr. Uni, in your estimation, the main tenets, not only the White House or the U.S., but all of us should be concentrating on? Yeah, I, I looked at the document. I obviously didn't have time to read all of it. It's 96 pages or so, but the, the document makes a lot of sense. You know, we need to be aware of that. Um, we are not in the same place anymore than uh, beginning of 2020. Things are changing and we need to keep going here and need to understand what we will be doing in the future, depending on what's happening. And a lot of what they covered makes complete sense. And I believe, you know, as a country, this is not something which is just relevant for the province, but as a country, we would need to have a playbook that is uh, addressing exactly the topics in there. And perhaps, you know, just uh, pushes a bit more than also, you know, asking questions about accessibility for drugs and for testing, et cetera, as well. Just looking into, you know, challenges we see in rural areas in Canada a lot, but also, you know, among racialized uh, communities, indigenous communities. So, same sort of flavor, same sort of playbook needed here too, and then just an additional aspect covering equity better, so that really those people who continue to be vulnerable also in the future just start to have better cards during this pandemic. So this National Preparedness Plan out of the White House, is this the sort of discussions that are going on right now amongst you and your colleagues and the Ontario Science Table? Is this something uh, I think you just alluded to that uh, might be better handled federally? But do you know, are there conversations going on right now that either Ontario or Canada has their own preparedness plan to move forward uh, with COVID in a way that no longer disrupts uh, our day-to-day lives? I mean, sure, we, we've had now uh, repeated meetings at the science table, you know, talking about different aspects like the evolution of the virus, for example. We just talked about animal pools. This afternoon, we will talk about surveillance and uh, all of these aspects play in there. I mean, this is a very sophisticated document. Um, the point here is, you know, what we probably want to do is to avoid misconceptions in the future. And this document of the US really helps, at least theoretically, against these misconceptions. You know, it would be politically convenient to pretend the pandemic is over, but it won't anytime soon. Uh, but we want to go into this differently in the future, you know, just have a good spring and summer, hopefully, if we're lucky and there's not a new variant. But if there's a new variant coming or when we then see, you know, the, uh, the autumn wave coming, which is probably inevitable, that we know what to do. And the aspects covered in this document make complete sense, you know, from this perspective. All right. One of the major new parts of this uh, preparedness plan out of the U.S. is something called a test to treat initiative. Uh, from what I understand is that uh, Americans would be able to get uh, tested at a uh, pharmacy uh, for COVID fairly uh, readily and then be given an antiviral pill, basically 
on the spot if they uh, test positive? Is that how you understand this? Yeah, indeed. You know, the, the challenge there is, first of all, how do we make sure that this is equitable and that those people who really need it also get it? This wasn't the case in the past in the US. That's a guaranteed fact. No. And this reads well when you look at it. But when then when you start to think about all the challenges, it's actually not that trivial. You know, the point then is you need to identify those people who really need treatment. It's not that, you know, um, me, for example, I should not qualify even if I test positive to receive treatment. This is an expensive treatment, you know, perhaps $700 a, a course, a treatment course, you know, if, if you if you look at Paxlovid. And we just need to get it to the right people and we need to get it in time. And the problem is then if you have people out there who experienced disenfranchisement in the past, racism, etc., that's again the people who potentially were not vaccinated because they justifiably so distrusted the system. And that may also be the people who actually don't get to the pharmacy or can't get because they don't have a car to get tested. So, you know, the devil really is in the details and we would need to address the same sort of topics, but really pay careful attention to make sure that those people who really need the antiviral in the future can really get it. All right. But that is key is accessibility to testing and not only that, but to uh, treatment as well. Yes, but you see, again, we don't need testing, garden variety testing in the future. We will need to change our way to approach this pandemic. We need to focus on those people who are immunocompromised, um, elderly people, people who, with a condition that makes them high risk and people you know, who continue to be in a socially very vulnerable situation or, you know, have really experienced challenging situations that still, you know, ha has left them unvaccinated. Those people would need to have rapid access and realistic access to testing and then treatment. And that's where the challenges are. You know, when you think about our, our black communities, for example, what we anticipate right now, and we had discussions about that, you know, those people who still aren't vaccinated because they distrust the system, because they have experienced um, systemic racism in the past, will they really come forward and are in time, remember, you need to uh, start treatment relatively early to get treated, or will they wait too long? That's the challenge we talk about. So we need to bring this not only to the pharmacies, we need to bring this to the community centers that are trusted, etc. And all of that would need to be ad addressed probably in a broader pandemic plan that realistically looks into these issues. All right. Without a doubt, those are some very important questions. Uh, Dr. Uni, I also wanted to ask you about uh, continuing to vaccinate uh, not only the nation, but the world. That's part of the U.S.'s preparedness uh, plan. It's something I know that has been talked about uh, quite a bit. Uh, the World Health Organization earlier this week came out and said that uh, I believe over 50% of the world has now been uh, vaccinated when it comes to COVID. But is that near enough? We need to continue, you know, and again, it's first of all, we just need to be aware of if you have had an infection and especially now also in lower income countries and also in the US, for example, you know, it's safe to assume that probably 75 to 80 percent of people have had at least one infection. This is not offering enough protection against future challenges, you know, with serious outcomes that that, that let you end up in a hospital or so. So we need to cover people and the population as well as we can so that everybody has eventually had at least three 
expositions to the virus, ideally three times um, a vaccine dose, but it could also be, you know, one infection and two vaccine doses to make sure that we seal the deal and have a more robust immune response. That's important. But when we then talk about, you know, what goes on in places like South Africa, remember the origin, the likely origin of the Omicron wave. We also have other global health challenges that we should not forget. You know, one of the most likely explanations for the occurrence of Omicron is that we as a global community completely messed up how we dealt with the HIV epidemic in places like South Africa, so that one third of those people who actually is HIV positive has not appropriate treatment for HIV, which results in turn in immunocompromised people a lot, actually, in, uh, in South Africa, for example. And that could have been, you know, the, uh, the, the basis on, on which Omicron actually developed in an immunocompromised person. So, you know, what we see is it backfires once more if we're complacent and just believe this is not our problem, what happens in South Africa, for example, with HIV. What you see here now, it is our problem as well, not only from a humanistic perspective, a moral perspective, but it also backfires for a pandemic control. All right. Just finally, Dr. Uni, with the White House unveiling this plan to move America to a new stage of the pandemic with this preparedness plan, uh, again, is this something that we should expect in the province or uh, Canada as a whole uh, in the next uh, few weeks, the next uh, little while as we continue to transition? Do we need a preparedness uh, plan, something uh, tabled that uh, ensures uh, as best we can anyways, that uh, we learn to live with COVID and it no longer disrupts our daily lives? I believe it would be important. And as I said, I would believe it would be important to do that on a um, national level as well, you know, that provinces start to be aligned and territories start to be aligned in their understanding about what this is about. I still think we have provinces pretending this will be endemic, you know, within the next few weeks. Not true. Sorry, not true. Um, and, you know, the, the, the point here is just uh, to, to really make sure that we move forward and are ready to use tools flexibly. This includes drugs and accessibility to drugs, update of a vaccine. We might need mass vaccination again. We talked about that before. Don't throw away your masks. We may need it again. And don't throw away the app on your iPhone. It may well be that we need a certificate that uh, just uh, looks into a requirement, you know, for updated vaccination, etc. All of that will be the flexible tools we need in the future so that we can keep being street smart and make sure that we don't end up again, you know, in, in another series of uh, further restrictions that start to impede economy and uh, societal activity. We don't want that. So we need to do the right thing. And for that, we need a concept which is realistic. All right, Dr. Yuni, appreciate the time and the conversation as always. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me again. You bet. Dr. Peter Uni, head of the Ontario Science Table. And we're back after this on The Jeff MacArthur Show. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.